This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 543. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Paul Wilson, CFO of Compete, a SaaS software company specializing in applications for the restaurant industry. Learn how Paul plans to inject some FP&A insights into Compete's information flows. We begin after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com.
And so about a month and a half later, we closed the transaction to sell this small little startup at very little revenue at an incredible valuation to PNC software. So that was my foray into the tech community. And then um, about, about four months later is when the bubble burst. And so it ended up being really good for the, for the founders of the, of the little startup company. And the rest of us got PNC, stock, uh, PNC software stock that, that suddenly lost a lot of value. But that was, that was my introduction to tech. Uh, I have stayed there since, so spent some time at BNC and then went to a semi-startup stage company called Convio. We took it from about $25 million to a public company in 2010, and uh, it was later acquired by a competitor. And then from there, ended up at a um, public company, a large public company here in Austin called Bizarre Voice and stayed there for about five years. Eventually, Bizarre Voice was sold to Modern Equity Partners in a public-to-private transaction. And at that point in time, I started looking around for what was next and landed here for peace. Right. You know, well, I, a, a fair portion of your career was spent in the FBNA function. I'm curious, would you mind sharing some highlights of uh, all of what was achieved uh, as you built your career there? Yeah, so I, I think I'd go back and start at Convio, which was a company that I joined uh, when we were around $25 million in revenue, and I was hired to stand up the FP&A function there. And we took that to a public company that we eventually sold. So it was, it was a great experience to build it from scratch, to do, and this was uh, 2000. Five and you know, so this is kind of early stages of SaaS companies. We were looking for any information we could find. So Bessemer was publishing a lot of stuff about SaaS, and we were just devouring that and finding all the metrics we could to help understand the SaaS business. And that that was a lot of fun. You know, it was, it was a time when there just there was a little bit of information, and we were just going with what we had. And so you stand up the function, you start measuring the company really well. We go public, we eventually sell, and there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of work involved in, in that. And then move over to Bizarre Voice, which was an established public company, but still something that there was a lot of opportunity to go in there. And, uh, you know, it, it had been a fast grower, and and so maybe up or grew faster than the, the back office could keep up with it as far as the FDMA function. So we were able to go in there and, and do a lot of the same stuff, which is, okay, let's look at some very, you know, customer profitability type things that have not been done before. Or are we making money? Or are we not making money? And, and start making better decisions. Well, the FP&A chapter is clearly uh, one of the more important chapters of any finance leader's career. Um, so thank you for sharing that. We want to find out now about Compete. Tell us about uh, this company. Tell us about its offer. Yes, so we are a SaaS technology company. We uh, serve the restaurant sector, so we do accounting, back office, workforce, intelligent software for restaurants. Uh, we think our competitive differentiator is that we have the broadest and most integrated product portfolio in the industry. We uh, have great customer service and 20 years of restaurants. So give us an example of what, um, why, would a, why would a restaurant want this? So we can, uh, restaurants, you know, notoriously operate on slim margins, so we can do things, 
think around inventory to help them save food costs along those lines. We have scheduling products to help them um, with their with their scheduling. And just, uh, you know, they've got to do accounting somewhere along the way, so we've got accounting products as well. And then on top of that, we've got an intelligence tool to help them understand their business better. Now, just, just for a point of comparison, did this new role that you were taking on uh, have a lot of the same entrepreneurial attributes of earlier tours of duty? Yes, I would, I would say that it does. Uh, even though we're a little bit bigger than some of the, the smaller companies I've been at, there's still that excitement and that entrepreneurial spirit here. There is, in some ways, we're, we're not as far along as we should be for a company this size. And so so that comes out in an example, I guess, it's just in the way we measure the companies. I think one of the reasons I was brought in is I have a strong FTMA background. And, you know, we want to be more data-driven here. So it's, it's taking that side of the business and building it from scratch. And that's, you know, that's something you would see at a startup-type company. Okay, interesting. So I would imagine uh, among your priorities is building out that FP&A function. What would you tell us? I mean, it, was it certain key hires that had to be made, or is it just a sort of a different way of looking at the business originally, or what would you tell us about building out that function? It, was, it started with a key hire. So when I arrived, the position was open, our director of FP&A. And I, you know, immediately started tapping into my network to find someone that would be good in that position and found a very good hire there. And so then it's just starting with the, the groundwork, you know, start with the basic forecasting and understanding what data we have, what we don't have, when we can go get it, and what can we report. And the good thing is the company was, was really, you know, looking forward to having that type of information wanted to, you know, be more data-driven in the decision-making process than, than we were previously. So a lot of support within the company to, to see this type of information. So I, I'd love to know, and again, uh, I have to say I use that phrase all the time, data-driven now. I've put it in quite a few headlines. I've asked quite a few questions with it. Um, but every company uh, perhaps is doing something maybe a little different. In my mind, data-driven means you're making certain numbers more visible to the rest of the organization so they can make better decisions. That's sort of a very abbreviated or shorthand way of looking at things. I'm wondering, what were the numbers that you were trying to bring forth uh, and make more visible in the organization? What is it that, that maybe they, they didn't have before? Or maybe they only saw that number quarterly and now they get to see it Monthly, whatever it might be. So uh, I think the company, you know, most companies already understand what bookings are and track that very closely. I think we we knew what churn was, kind of knew what churn was, but weren't quite sure. And then, but the more important thing than just knowing the numbers, what's causing it. So dig into the what's driving the churn, and that's something we're trying to understand better and, and then make decisions better. Things like uh, lifetime value to CAC, to cost of acquisition, is, is very important to us so that we can understand how economic we are in our sell to marketing process. And, uh, you know, things that were already here, customer satisfaction is, was already here and, and people through an NPS score. But then you get into, you know, a little bit deeper down into utilization and get into financial statement analysis and looking at how much we're spending on R&D versus other SaaS companies that are our stage, how much are we spending on sales and marketing versus other SaaS companies. So 
similarly, I have to believe you're coming up with some innovative ways to get those numbers in front of them, or, or, or there's an application now that you're able to create a dashboard for maybe uh, the board, maybe maybe a group of managers, or, or no, what would you tell us? Yeah, right now we're early stages, so everything is pretty much in Excel, so I wouldn't say that we're doing anything groundbreaking there as far as how we distribute it. It's just, you know, we're in the early stages of let's find the information, how how accurate is it, and then what can we, what can we learn from it. So it's, it's very early stages. But in your other organizations, is that a next step as well? Well, how do we get this out of Excel? And, and I'm not looking for a vendor endorsement. Please don't misinterpret my. Uh, I, I'm trying to bring some clarity to when it's time to take that step. I'm looking for a reality check. You might say, you know what, Jack? I find it's much more important to get the talent in-house that can calculate those numbers and identify the right data than all that. The technology adoption is secondary. Um, it's about the numbers. Would you agree with both points of view? I would agree with both. At, at this stage, it is about the numbers and the data and, and just doing the work. Uh, and I have been at larger companies where we have used systems to, to publish that outside of just an Excel report. But at this point where we are, and we've been on these planning systems as well before, which, which are good, and we're, we're approaching a point where we would do that instead of just doing our planning in Excel. But uh, right now, I think, you know, it's just about getting the data and getting it out. I'd be interested in hearing a finance leader's point of view on this particular sector, uh, the restaurant, the restaurants that you target, uh, given your eyes of sight into those businesses. This group of customers, what... Uh, what are your impressions? I know you're, 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 you haven't been there all that long, but tell, tell us about cust, you know, having a, a restaurant uh, customer base. What, what, what's the strange quirks about it? What makes them different? What, what, do you, what have you learned already about them? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a group of people that are in the service industry, so they have that attitude, and they're just, you know, we are looking to help them out. So. I think, uh, and I'm going to miss, the, miss the, the percentage here, but I think something like 80% of our employees have worked in that sector. So we hire people into support. We hire salespeople. We hire a lot of people who have worked in the restaurant industry as general managers or owners. And, you know, we try to bring that service mentality into the company through that direction. So I think that's the interesting part about serving this this industry is that they are a service industry and they care about providing a great experience to their customers. And that's what we try to do, help them do through our products is to, you know, automate some of the back office stuff so that their lives are easier and they can help them save on whether it's inventory or staffing. And they can focus on providing a great experience to their customers. Well, share with us a finance strategic moment, and this is where, during the course of your career, uh, you had a moment of strategic insight, given your lines of sight as a finance leader. You saw something, and you responded to it. When I ask for a finance strategic moment, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, an example I would give is at a prior company, as a B2B company, Selling, when it started, it was selling enterprise software to large enterprise companies. And then, as you typically do, you 
start moving downstream with that product and see how far down you can go. And it worked kind of in the mid-market, and then as we pushed it further down into smaller companies, we found we could sell it, but the, the companies we were selling to were not being very successful with it. And it was because it was an enterprise product, and, you know, they, they just didn't have that sophistication to run it. So we started looking at the, the data around it and the financials around it, and the lifetime value versus the cost of acquisition. And we could see that at the enterprise or at the mid-market level, these are good customers for us, that it's a profitable business and something we should be doing. But then as we moved down to the smaller sub-customers, the product still took about the same amount of time to implement, so our implementation costs were scaling down. And the customers were churning at a higher rate because they weren't as successful with it, not as, as able to operate the product. And so we would look at the, the lifetime value and see that, gee, we're only breaking even about three months before the customers are training out, so, so what are we doing here? And, you know, went back to the drawing board. So, okay, first we just have to stop selling to this, to this market. We're not going to sell below a certain price point. And then secondly, we need to actually develop a much lighter weight product to be able to address this market. But the one that we have just isn't going to work. And so that, that's an example I would give is, is something where we started looking at it feeling like this is not a good business for us. We need to change the way we approach it. When we come back, CFO Paul Wilson enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're going to jump to our mentoring round where I'll be asking you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor future finance leaders. What is it that's exciting you today about finance and business? Not, not 10 years ago, but today, excuse me. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, I, I think... It is. Uh, there's just more and more data available. Now that can become a bit of a curse and get overwhelmed with it, but uh, for somebody who really likes to measure a business and use those metrics to make decisions, it's, it's great to have more than, rather than less data. And so that's, you know, from an operational standpoint, that's what excites me. I think another one is the role of the CFO is becoming a much more operationally focused role, which is something I enjoy as well. Is, you know, it's not just get the books closed and publish everything. It is how do we make this company more efficient and how do we make better decisions. And those are the two, I'd say those are the two things that really excite me about the future of this finance uh, approaches. Now, Paul, to date, your background, a number of tours of duty, uh, really rich in FP&A. Uh, you were a controller. You've been a, a CFO also in the past for smaller businesses. Um, but you arrived, the first time you arrived 
in the CFO office where you have all the responsibilities of finance leadership. What is that piece of information you wish someone shared with you? Or what, you know, what is that piece of advice, perhaps, you wish someone had given you? Uh, you know, that's a good one. Um, I would say that, that I had had such great mentors and examples that I could follow that, and been involved at such a high level even prior to the CFO role that I, I wouldn't say there's something here that surprised me or that, um, that there was a piece of information that I wish I'd had. But the, the things I'd learned along the way before getting here were, uh, you hire really good people. Don't be afraid to hire smart people. You need people smarter than you. Um, and, and so I, I think that's where it starts is come in and make sure that you've got really good people in place and then you provide clear direction on where to go. Some of the mentoring that you received, was it, was it about being involved in the decision-making and seeing how decisions were made? How would, tell, tell us about the mentoring. Yes, so uh, I had a CFO I'd worked for for about a dozen years here in Austin, just a great guy. And he would he would purposely include me, you know, sometimes it'd just be me, him, and, uh, and the CEO sitting down and just talking about the company, what's working, what's not working, and just very informal discussions in, the, in his office. And so it's, it's being involved in those discussions, being involved in strategic meetings and seeing how they go and seeing how the, how the team thinks and how decisions get made has, has been incredibly useful to me. Interesting. You shared the chapter where you left healthcare behind and moved into tech. It, it's an interesting chapter. Not every finance executive is able to do that. Um, and maybe it was just... Happenstance, maybe the you know the opportunities came along when they did. But I'm wondering, was there a mentor involved? Was that a difficult decision to make? As you look back, did you think you were taking certain risks by leaving healthcare, where you already had a number of roles? Uh, what would you tell us? Yeah, it was, it was certainly a calculated risk. But at the time, you know, here in Austin, the, the startup community was, was just thriving and, and, and going really fast. And I wanted to, Austin at that time was a much smaller than it is now. And the healthcare community was relatively small. And I thought, if I, if I want to stay in Austin, which I did long term, that the tech industry is probably where I needed to go. And that stuff was exciting to me. So it was. It was a bit of a leap of faith. I, I, I wouldn't say there was anybody involved in that. It was just kind of a sit back and think about the, uh, I want to be here long term, and this is probably the industry I need to be in if I want to do that. We have a question that uh, asks you to reflect a little more uh, personally on your, your habits and routines. Is there a personal habit or part of your daily routine that you think has contributed in some way to your professional success? I, I would say I, I feel like I'm always trying to learn, always looking to, to get better at what I'm doing. And so I read a lot, uh, whether it's a book or you know, magazine articles or blog posts. But it, it's just always looking to continue that learning curve and try to get better at it. And, you know, I find that that helps me a lot. Is there a book you'd recommend? Probably the one that I would recommend at this point is Measure What Matters. I mean, we've talked a lot about measuring companies and metrics, and that's one that, that spoke uh, really closely to me because um, there, there are a lot of things in there that, you know, it articulates them better than I could, 
but, uh, you know, hopefully it's not confirmation bias, but I felt like a lot of the stuff in there is stuff that I had tried to use throughout my career, and it was just a, a better way of, of saying it than, than I could have done. I'm going to just ask one extra last question here. Um, and regarding all this talk around data, and then I pressed you on sharing data, whether you're doing anything to share it, I didn't ask you about meetings, which I think in a lot of ways you might be communicating some of these numbers across the table to people, inviting people to meetings. Have you, in some ways, attempted to organize more meetings, fewer meetings, or how you, uh, how you collaborate across the company via meetings? What, you know, what would you share with us? Yeah, I, I'd say I'm, I'm, I would generally prefer fewer rather than more meetings, but uh, let's make them useful. I think um, we have not here at Compete, we have not done a great job of sharing information across the company. Basically, it is not employee based. That's one of the things that we're going to start looking to more of through all hands type meetings. But right now, it's, it's primarily sharing the, the financial information and the other metrics, you know. Specifically, with a function that we're working with on, on, a, on an issue, or uh, the financials, more uh, specifically with the um, executive team. So, as you look forward over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a CFO? The priorities would be to let's let's really establish this SDNA function as, as a tool that is very valuable for this organization as, as we make decisions. So right now we're in the ground, playing the groundwork stages, and we just need to really execute well on it and start providing this data that, that can help this company grow and be a very good company. Paul Wilson, thank you for joining us on CFO Volunteer. Thank you for having me. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.